So, uh, in the first period uh, with you, I'd like to speak for around uh, 30 minutes. The uh, theme with you this afternoon is uh, mindfulness, ethics, and uh, inquiry. And I will uh, endeavor to give some illustrations, uh, some uh, examples, why I consider it important, in fact, vitally important, that there is a link and the connection between these three. <clears throat> and just to uh, begin in the general view for a moment, it has been and continues to be a long-standing wish of mine that we engage, that means society, people, public, thoughtful people, into a communication and into a dialogue around ethics. It seems to me it needs to be one of those areas which has a really central place in our life and we explore it in many different ways. And the practices of mindfulness are intimate related to the practice of uh, uh, ethics. Sometimes it is explicit. This means it's spoken, it's written about, it's discussed, it's a talking point for us. And sometimes it's implicit. It is there but it isn't directly referred to. And in the relationship to one to the other, I would like to touch on that for a few moments. As for example, <clears throat> you, in the variety of roles that you and I may have, we share and offer some experiences or insights or knowledge or skills or methods with the other. And we recognize that the other, others, are there for that purpose. And that could be the role of the facilitator, the mindfulness teacher there. In the role, the sharing, the concern, the real support for the other carries with it an ethic. It's an ethic of kindness, of service. It doesn't require anything explicit. It, ethics do not have to be spoken about. So we need to recognize and acknowledge where ethics are implicit, acts of service would be one, and where it may well need to be said to be explicit, i.e. spoken uh, about. And our mindfulness, as much as possible, to be clear in both uh, directions. We also, with the mindfulness, on, with the ethics, an important feature, but it's not the only one, an important feature is the relationship to the other uh, without any wish to hurt nor harm nor 
cause any suffering to the other. Perhaps not these times, but regularly enough. You are if I don't own a car, but if you own a car, you're driving uh, along the road. It's a busy morning and you have a, an important and urgent appointment. And you catch the thought in your mind of impatience, of wanting to drive that bit faster. You can feel the pressure. And then mindfulness come, comes in, enters in, and you're mindful that there is a risk that might cause an accident. You might bang into somebody or, or whatever. So the mindfulness acts as a brake because the mindfulness has an ethic in it. The ethic of not wishing to cause a collision to bring harm to the other. So a feature of the mindfulness is the recognition of the movement of intention and the way intention affects and influences the mindfulness. If there isn't the mindfulness, the intention can be raw, aggressive, negative, and just impact. So the mindfulness in its absence can allow for that. Again, an example. A friend of mine uh, is working with men and these uh, men have been actually ordered by the court to meet together uh, every week uh, with a counsellor, therapist, to discuss the issues of their aggression. After the meeting, he told me that he was walking, in fact, at the bus stop with one of those uh, men in the group, and a lady with a dog came by, and the dog got a bit close to him. And he immediately tried to kick the dog. And the therapist turned to him and said, you know, why did you try to kick the dog? And he said, well, I thought he would get in my way. So there is the intention there. There is a lack of mindfulness of the consequences of the intention. Fortunately, he missed the dog. He frightened the woman, the owner, the owner uh, of, the, of the dog. And the mindfulness is to act with its ethical consideration to check is our intention in what we might say to the uh, uh, other calm and clear and non-reactive or so to speak has the mindfulness been kind of swept away and the outcome is there's the intention there's the motivation there's the reaction and there is the hurt or the possible hurt on the other so mindfulness is an exploration it requires from us some inquiry 
and a central psychological component is the use of intention. And sometimes we can uh, deny or hide the intention, to give another example. Uh, a person that I know was um, in a relationship. The person has a couple of uh, kids and there is some procedures going on that, that mean a divorce procedure. And the uh, ex-husband is upset and angry. And when it's his turn to take care of the two children, mostly at weekends, very easily the response or the reaction is, oh, I can't see them this weekend. Um, I've got too much to do. I'm working, I'm busy, uh, or whatever it might be. So the person with the intention gives a reason I'm very busy, I've got a lot to do, or whatever, but may not realize or see what it sounds like. It sounds like revenge. You left me. You, uh, you split up. You're the one who separated. And so the outcome of that is reasoning, but the intentionality is to hurt to make life difficult in some way or other. So once again, intentionality, mindfulness shedding light on our intentions. Can those intentions be one which you and I put hand on heart and say it is not to hurt, it is not to harm, it is not to make your life difficult. And if that intention, as an outcome of some inquiry, is there, it's much easier to have a clear, honest, and caring relationship with the other. Because we refuse, we might say, to separate mindfulness from ethics, from inquiry. You see, these three and other aspects, which we'll touch upon in other days, really work together there. <clears throat> Just going to bend down. I've got the water on the, on the carpet here. So uh, this is kindness for the throat. <laughs> and if, if at any time you look at Christopher with the glass, and like the wall behind me, the glass looks rather red. You, you know what's inside the glass. <clears throat> Sometimes with the mindfulness and the, and the ethics. One aspect which we touched upon and, uh, and I've been appreciating very much uh, the, the interest and the curiosity uh, and the references to uh, 
uh, ethics and uh, mindfulness um, uh, and inquiry that has been taking place uh, over the days with a number of you. And with the mindfulness application uh, there, in the um, language form, and this issue got touched upon and noticed with uh, uh, Ula uh, today, it genuinely isn't easy to bring up or address with the other an ethical issue. It is not easy. It will require from you an immense amount of practice for all of us, of uh, skill, of ways of looking, and really listening to the other. Um, I'll give you a couple of examples. This case from the, uh, from the Middle East. Um, sometimes in the teaching courses and retreats, there is an invitation and for people to come up and sit beside me and uh, and we have some dialogue with the p participants listening in on the inquiry on the one-to-one -one. a couple of years ago a young guy came up and sat beside me if i remember rightly the first words that he said was um, i was a sniper, understand the word sniper? Somebody who shoots people, assassinates them, kills them. He said, I was a sniper um, in the uh, Indian Army, IDF, Israeli Defense Force, in the, in, the, in the, sorry, Israeli Army. I was there. Someone like me, lifetime of commitment to nonviolence, to dialogue rather than death. Completely opposite way of looking. What does one say to a person who is a sniper? What does one ask? In this case, uh, it was recorded and uh, transcribed it, had the okay from the, the person in the, uh, in, in the dialogue. So I use it as a very small example and another one with the, uh, the working with the Palestinians with a man who said uh, he is a, a member of uh, Hamas and he believes in uh, only in armed uh, conflict to help liberate um, Palestine. What does one say to such a person? And sometimes in the concept or in the view with the other, whoever she, uh, he may be, there can be a polar opposite of views. This is what we referred to. One is, who am I to say anything? And one stays rather quiet and doesn't touch upon it because it could be too difficult to touch upon. We go quiet. One of our poets, Dylan Thomas, can't remember the line. He says something like, let us not go quietly into the night. Christopher is one of those. The other is the voice. If we don't have the voice 
with wisdom and empathy, which is of course was the keen point that uh, Ulla made to us in the afternoon question period. And let's say we come from a strong, rather self-righteous position, strongly identified with our ethic, let's, let's say in this case, non-violence, let's, let's say like that, yeah. And therefore the view which comes out of us could have consequences upon the other which reinforce the other viewpoint. And there are, th in a communication where we are coming across forcefully, um, rather with some pressure, some absolutism there, the three responses may well come to us from the other. One is, we are arguing, we are holding tightly to our position so the other person does exactly the same. And therefore it's conflict. It is a dispute. It is two ships passing in the night and Titanic-like colliding in the night. It doesn't need anywhere. It re reinforces the positions of the two people. Another typical response when there isn't the skillfulness in the communication is the person will get very, very defensive. And so one expresses something and the person feels the real wish to defend their position to keep reinforcing it and it doesn't seem in those times that there's any way through it. So one is attacking back, that means the argument. The other is the strong tightening, the defensive position is the second. And the third, equally as common, is the person withdraws. And in the withdrawal, it's a defense, but it's the closing down of the voice as well. And uh, the person feels heavily judged, and they might be right. The person feels not understood, they might be right. And the person may feel afterwards, I don't want to have any more contact with you. You're too self-righteous. You're too full of your own opinion. You don't allow anybody or another person, don't allow me to even speak or whatever, keep out of my life. So with mindfulness, in the sharing of an important communication, the voice tone is vitally important. A certain calm of the being is important. And we need to use our eyes and our ears in a very mindful and attentive way. And that engagement with the so-called difficult person, that engagement is ethical. It has an ethic to it.
doesn't mean to say, even with wisdom, and love and empathy, and the skillness, skillfulness in the language, that we might touch the person, but there may be um, a communication which sometimes the person is left with some self-questioning. An example, <clears throat> I move in these social political circles like a number of you, and in one communication, the person did not like Muslims at all. Now some of us, and that includes myself, have had lots of contact with the Muslim communities. Young guy, I spent time in, where did I spend time? Turkey, Iran, Pakistan, India with a large Muslim community, um, uh, Malaysia, Java, Sumatra, Lombok, these are uh, Muslim uh, countries, so, and as well as with the school with the Muslim kids and others. So this person listened, Muslims are violent, they're angry, they, uh, um, they, only, they only believe in their religion uh, and, and so on and so forth. Um, and they want to take over the West, went on and on and on. So this person, a very conditioned, generalized view, didn't seem to be any leeway. This is called, that I would call Islamic phobia there. So I listened and I listened because at some point the person who's got a lot on their chest and they're getting it out, sometime it's going to go quiet. And when the opportunity came, didn't make any argument. And I just very, very quietly, I said to the, this, this man, this guy, um, do you know any Muslims? Have you actually had any personal contact, you know, etc.? And he said, well, no, well, you, you, well, with, with one person, with one Muslim, I know, yes, like that, rather a little bit irritated. So I said very quietly, would you like me to, would you like to tell me a little bit about him? And uh, he said, um, well, yes, he was a really nice guy. He was a neighbor of mine in the street and we really got on well. He had a really lovely family, really, really nice guy. So I said to him very quietly, perhaps there are many more Muslims who are really lovely people. The second uh, name of my grandson is a Muslim name, by the way. And I said, perhaps there are quite a few more around and it'd be lovely if you had the opportunity to meet them. Thank you very much. It's really nice to talk with you. Um, I'm really happy to hear of your good contact and your good appreciation with your Muslim neighbor uh, in your street. Thank you and goodbye. 
and went on my way. And I just use this as a small example that in any hostile view, there will be somewhere a little contradiction or a big one uh, in it. And it's being interested and curious and sometimes finding a spot which shows the opposite to the aggressive viewpoint. Uh, there, Just touching upon that, thanking the person very much, just one line, only one sentence, perhaps there are more Muslims uh, who are really kind and lovely and uh, I hope you have the opportunity to meet them and uh, um, I must be going, I'm on my way. And that leaves the person. Then the, the rest, they might just go back to their old view or in the best sense, it might generate some doubt because they know somebody who doesn't fit the stereotype. So exploration of that, it's an ethic. It's an ethic to change that which one profoundly disagrees with. That is the stereotyping of any group of people, anybody, any group. And our practice and exploration of mindfulness of the situation, uh, as I mentioned, of ethics, curiosity, some inquiry with the other person, may possibly generate a kind of climate or culture towards, uh, towards change. So we're not going quietly into the night, because that's one extreme. We're not getting into a major argument with the other, but we've got the voice. <clears throat> I'm just looking up the clock on the wall there. Ethics and mindfulness also work in other areas, very uh, um, precious one. So we've established at the beginning, the intention is a very important aspect, the driving of the car. Um, the, the little boy, the grandson, reminded me of, of myself. He was around eight years of age. We went to the playground here in Totnes and around the park where the kids can play with all those uh, swings and roundabouts. He didn't want to do that. What he wanted to do was to climb the four meter high wire fence. He's eight years of age. So I thought if his mum was there, she would say no, but his granddad, something else. I want to encourage the boy to be adventurous there. So I took a deep breath. I said, okay, be very mindful. Go slowly, step by step, hand by hand, up to the top of the fence, get your hand to the top of the fence, a few meters high, and slowly, slowly come down. And uh, I, of course, be at the foot. And the ethic is a very simple act of kindness. If he did slip, I'd catch him. So the intention is the act of kindness while recognizing the young adventurous spirit of the, of the youngster. 
respecting that with some risk and at the same time being access accessible there. In these teachings of mindfulness, looking at the intention, really checking if there's any wish to cause any harm and exploring that. But it doesn't end there. It, it's not enough. Mindfulness has got to um, explore kind of deeper than that. Though that's deep as well. And what I have in mind here is um, the looking, that means the bringing mindfulness, to all the major um, areas of our life. Every one of them. That might take, might be one step at a time. So, for example, we might take food. It's not only what we eat, uh, which matters as well, but also in the exploration of food, we have a, uh, an exploration which might look at what is grown, where it is grown, how it gets to us, and really that. We might look at the foods that are on the packets. We might look at who do we support. Can we support our local shopkeeper rather than going to the supermarket, even if it costs us some more money? So that's an ethic. It's an ethic of interconnectedness. It's an ethic of giving support to low-income people, those people working so hard in small shops and for many hours. It's giving support as well to uh, organic farming, um, to small farmers, and much, much more, and reducing the carbon footprint as much as we can. It's an ethic. And mindfulness is concerned with this ethic of what we eat, the, uh, the clothes that we buy, so this uh, Indian uh, shirt, which I've had a decade or two, bought in the market uh, in India. Um, I, went, I, I use the charity shop very regularly because I'm very keen on recycling. And one can go to the charity shop. So my old black jacket is rather worn and faded. And there was this jacket for it was about eight pounds, that's about 10 euros, nine or 10 euros. And I bought it and I'm curious. I got home, it was in perfect fit, immaculate condition. What's the first thing I do? I get home, I Google the jacket, the label of the clothing company that made the jacket. It cost, I got it for eight pounds. It cost 150 pounds. It just made my day cheap and recycled. Like it doesn't get better than that. So when we have an ethic, the recycling ethic there, the making things last uh, uh, ethic, and much, much more, we say, whoa, mindfulness includes that. I want this world to sustain itself. I want things to last. I want to be mindful of what I eat and what I wear and you know what what I and what I buy. So you can see behind me there is 
you can just see a green cover here. It's green. It looks a bit blue on the screen, but it's green. And beneath it, if I can dig it out for you, it's a little... Lo and behold, you can't maybe see, but it's white. That's the radiator behind it. There. My daughter gave me the sofa. And it's a little bit, you know, kids have been on it, it's a little bit. It was second hand when she got it. So rather than the new sofa, you just buy a cover, cost a few pounds in the market, throw it over the top, perfect. So just small things as an ethic, recycling, making things last, making good use of, good use of things, uh, there is part of our practice because we want to be as a, a kind of liver, a wise and mindful life. That's what we, we, we practice, in which we explore and nourish and encourage that. <clears throat> then just finally, now with the ethics and inquiry, um, exploration uh, uh, as well, in this adventure of human existence, and the exploration of the variety of themes uh, uh, that, that go with it. In all that you and I can offer life, in the regularity of the opportunity to grow and develop, as was uh, uh, said yesterday in Ulu's uh, uh, talk, let's never forget we are a student of life. We may have the privilege of being a teacher, uh, we have the privilege of serving others in a variety of ways, but the student, there's a passion of the student to learn, to gain fresh insights and, uh, and to expand. And it also keeps a, a space and a certain humility because we don't want to be identified with the role and that we end up with superiority. So in our exploration there, there is sometimes a deep interest, mindfulness, meditation, inquiry, ethics, lifestyle, and the extra that can go with that is to look deeply into life, very, very deeply into it. Our mindfulness teacher training course is providing a variety of tools to support that, obviously, a variety of practices. We are listening to the experiences, we the collective, the 75 of us, listening to the experiences of each other, dialoguing with the questions, the opportunity to speak, and putting all of that together with the focus of mindfulness, ethics, care with intentions, there. Put all of that together. There's something in all of that which says, I wish to go deeper into life, deeper into the consciousness, deeper into the field of experience. This is, I'm keen on this. It's an ethic. Because as we go deeper, more of life will open it itself up to us, greater receptivity, and that will bring more friendship and joy out of the being. Uh, 
We will keep developing our skills, which challenges us, communicating with the difficult people. And there are plenty around. And sometimes we are difficult as well for the other. So intentions matter. Bringing mindfulness to support the welfare of others, the driving of the car example. The letting the child be adventurous and being available for the child. And bringing the mindfulness to bear on major items, food, clothing, shelter, recycling, making things last. And, and let's bring all of that into the public conversation. Let's, as mindfulness teachers, find ways when we can be explicit with that, because we can say enough is enough with this consumerism, but also we can be very personal, not make any reference to that. Just deal with that woman, that man, that small group in front of us who are stressed out, who are worried, who are anxious, who need our support, who may be happy and content, but wish to go deeper. And we're offering that. And therefore, the ethics is implicit in those times. And sometimes the ethics is explicit through our inquiry, through our questioning, and therefore not being self-righteous. So that's what I wanted to share with you today. Let's just have a quiet minute or two. And then for those on the MTTC, you're very much uh, Welcome to ask a question or two, either on the topic today or um, anything else which is appropriate. But let's have the quiet minute. <clears throat> May all beings explore mindfulness. May all beings inquire into the uh, range of ethics and the applications of ethics. May all beings live with love and wisdom. So anyone who uh, might like to uh, ask anything, anything you'd like to uh, uh, respond to, as usual, either in the uh, written or uh, in the spoken. And I'll just click on the chat because there are uh, one person <laughs> quietly right um, to see all these trainees. That's been mindfulness teachers training courses um, um, is amazing. Uh, someone has written, uh, lovely. Um, another person, I don't, it's a, a German word, so I don't, don't know what it means. And the probability is my pronunciation will be Schaf uh, Schutzer. Does anyone tell me what this means? 
was just the translation to sniper. Oh, thank you. Well, that's right. All right. <laughs> thank you. Very helpful. And the third one. Could you kindly explore the conversation with the sniper and with the Hamas uh, soldier? This is so very much interesting. Um, um, the sniper is easy. What I would suggest is uh, you, um, on the uh, Christopher Titmus blog, B-O-G, you know blog, and at the top right-hand side, um, there is a search. If, if you put in sniper or Israeli soldier, um, you'll see the dialogue. So it was transcribed and I, I, put, I didn't mention the soldier's name, of course, and put it in the, in the blog and you'll, you'll, you'll see the uh, dialogue. I haven't, with the uh, Hamas um, uh, person, this took place some uh, years uh, ago, um, during the time of the uh, Intifada, and uh, that would have to rely on memory there, and my notes there, but uh, that would take a little bit of time, and we've only got it there. But thank you very much, Andrea, for the, uh, for the interesting curiosity. <clears throat> ah, so the question um, here is, Christopher, could you please elaborate a bit on the tone of the voice uh, uh, there? De um, uh, definitely. <clears throat> I, I find, probably you do too, so when I'm listening to the other, there are probably three areas which um, are important. I mean, there are more than three, but there are three which come across to me. <clears throat> uh, one of them is what is, is in the spoken, what is said. Do I have a sense of what is said is factual, therefore true, and I hear what is said. What, what, what the words actually are. The second, from within or with the listening, what I mean by the tone of uh, uh, voice, <clears throat> if the tone has a lot of pressure or willpower uh, in it, um, it affects the voice and it affects the quality and the tone. So some of the ways that that shows itself with us is, or the other, we might begin to speak faster. And that makes it more difficult to listen to. If there is some agitation or negativity or reactivity in the tone, We might be factual, it might be, yes, this happened, and it might be true, but the tone has got blame in it. It is facts, but it's putting down the other. And when it's putting down the other, the other will only hear the tone and not hear the facts. So the tone, is to bring the voice in such a way that if the shoe was on the other foot, we could hear it. 
it's it's almost saying this is how i would wish to be spoken to and therefore one is the content is it factual is it true not perfectly but it is it fairly accurate important second is uh, with with the tone is it aggressive is it a put down regardless of the facts or is it being offered for with a quiet encouragement for the person perhaps for us to ask so that she or he can hear we ask a question quietly and let the person respond to the question it may require some um, patience and the person may speak a long time sometimes i find i can feel the feeling inside of me sometimes happened i want to interrupt but i know at some point the person will run out of words to say and if the time is available and the person can finally runs out that that point there might be quite some space there then the tone of voice really needs to be caring thoughtful insightful so it can register with the person so they don't close up uh, again so content the tone of voice which can be heard rather than blame in it and uh, a quiet patience quietly waiting for the opportunity to say just a few words and sometimes when you and i we say less we say more that's what i got in mind so as you see i think there's another uh, question here <clears throat> Yeah, good point. Christopher, I believe in many cases when being confronted with something that totally goes against my uh, ethics, I might be shocked or worked up internally, maybe freeze. How to deal with that if that would be one of my future participants? <clears throat> I could not have a fruitful reaction in such an emotional state. I, 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 I agree it's not not, not um, e an easy one this is where the knowing of ourself matters so what this means is the emotional reaction the emotional state will be we will be vulnerable in particular kinds of conversations with particular kinds of people so the knowing of ourself as best we can is what kind of person really gets me wired up what kind of thing which is really important to me as an ethic and I find it really difficult to deal with those who have a, such a completely different view. Um, a friend of mine in New York, a lawyer, 
Um, they just had a very successful case. Corporate world, they all made a lot of money. They all went to a fancy restaurant for a meal. She, that's the friend of mine in New York, she said she sat down, she's vegetarian, she never speaks about it, doesn't, you know, promote it or anything. And the colleague, the lawyer sitting next to her, was um, eating what's the, what's the, that, um, the, uh, the liver of um, geese, what's it called, pate? I forget the word anyway, you, you know what I mean. Uh, where they fatten the, uh, the animals up and... Uh, so he was eating that and she said to him, because she felt she had to say something, she just said to him, you know, and he said, and he was saying to his colleagues, God, it's really tastes so good. And she just asked him, do you know how, what happens to these birds uh, in order for you to, to uh, eat that, the way that they are treated there? And he turned to her, upset and angry, and he said to her, I couldn't care less what happens to the birds. All that I know is that it tastes good. So you've got two polarized views. She felt you know, a bit shocked and uh, a little bit uh, and, and, and somewhat up, upset. And then went quiet and just quietly ate her meal. That as a shock on specific situation is would be something to reflect upon and to see if out of the reflection might she even if it caused some tension might she say something might she ask another question so sometimes we're in such a shock as the good person we kind of freeze we just don't know what to say that means we're frozen but sometimes afterwards something comes to us. So let's use our mindfulness practice, keep our feelings alive, trust in our healthy emotions. When we do freeze, reflect on that so we keep the, the voice alive. And it genuinely is um, an ongoing practice, but a key to it, as I say, certain people Certain views are the ones which we find difficult to cope with. Okay, we're going to apply our practice to handling those kind of views because the probability is if you're a mindfulness teacher for any length of time, you will meet person, persons like that. Turning up with a view so far away from your view, from my view, and so forth. That's our practice. You know, we, it, we, it's... Communication with inquiry to change the world. Anyone else has uh, any? Um, uh, okay, one person <laughs> writes. Nice. I, I am still swimming in the lake of ethics. Marvelous news. Don't drown in them, though. All right. <laughs> of course, have an image about them, but where did they? come from, from within? Aren't there different kinds of ethics that might also oppose each other? Aren't there many religions that have ethics with opposing views? 
uh, is not socialization an important part to that? Uh, all right. <clears throat> the response with this uh, 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 this one. <clears throat> it is not to impose on this world <clears throat> some kind of commandments, rules, impositions uh, on others. The question is, for me, um, whether it's religion, science, politics, economics, social uh, life, or more. The key issue for, for me and for others is what is the suffering, what contributes to it, and what changes it. And the voices which might be supporting it, that means the suffering, the exploration, bringing awareness to it, really listening, doing our homework, will contribute to us finding a, a voice. And the ethics of non-harming <clears throat> may have some variation to it, uh, 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 of course. And this we need to recognize, <coughs> pardon me, certain differences which are, the, which are there. The vegan may have a different view from the vegetarian. The vegetarian may have a different view from the person who eats chicken. The person who eats chicken may have a, um, a different view from the red meat eater and, and, and so, so forth. We may, we need, can be concerned and explore what goes into the mouth and we're equally concerned, as Sophie said, what comes out, out of it. So where there are differences, they, rather than conflict, it's an opportunity for sharing, for communication, not for strengthening the differences. People's lives tend to change more easily through trust, through openness, through shared communication, through the willingness to speak, and through example. We've got to walk the talk. That's our practice. Anyone else, please? Got just about another four or five uh, minutes to go. Anything else you'd like to mention? I'll have a, another quick look on the screen here with you. Um, it, in my, my observation, my, my looking here, there. just in a general, forgive the generality for a moment, quite a lot of the beauty and the preciousness of the mindfulness, and it's really, really important, is this 
intimate, close communications, like the group of us are engaged in with this course, and of course in much smaller groups and in one-to-ones. Really being present and available out of love, uh, sharing and understanding. And we certainly need to develop communities of this in all sorts of ways. The close, caring, intimate, friendly connection and also have the skills to be a good friend and a voice of quiet authority. Alongside that is those of us, and I'm certainly one of those, who wish to challenge and to question the system which controls our life so much. And that includes mass production, consumerism, the politics of the left, right and centre, and I don't have any um, uh, allegiance to the politics of the left, right or centre, it's not my thing at all, it's all, they all seem so narrow and contracted to me uh, there, but finding ways to express our concerns about the implementation of change. And therefore that addresses our, big, our major institutions from education, which I think needs a completely different kind of education from the world that we live in. It includes our relationship to livelihood instead of pursuit of career. Realizing enough is enough, living with moderation, support of the, of the small, there rather than the mass and all of that's part of the uh, exploration um, so we listen to ourselves person ask some uh, 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 questions and that might just trigger a little bit entirely a little bit more thought about what do I do what do I buy um, what changes can I make you know we're, we're mindfulness is a uh, in my world, it is a small, modest contribution to a revolution. And the revolution meaning a change which simultaneously is inner and outer. That's the view. Right, one more question. I'll just have a look at the, uh, put the old uh, specs on. I'll have a look at the, yeah. That's all, all uh, lovely and quiet in there. Anyone else finally or all good? <clears throat> all right, thank you very, very much for uh, uh, lending uh, an ear uh, there. Hopefully a little few pointers for you might be helpful on intentionality, listening, uh, responding, being mindful uh, human beings and seeing the different ways that it can apply itself in meditation, driving the car, looking after the kids, service to others, mindful of what we use and what we buy. It's a great practice and let's share 
with each other, with our friends. Let's quietly, without being a mission, make it a bit of a talking point. That's all. Things start through talking, sharing together. Let's do that. Okay, quiet minute together, and then we're done. May we all be mindful of our personal ex experience. May we be mindful of the experience of the other or others. May we explore ways to deeply connect, which is the preciousness of our capacity. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. And uh, tomorrow uh, morning, yes, uh, the, the sitting meditation at nine o'clock European, mainland European time. We're still Europeans here in Britain. And we keep reminding our government that we are too. Um, and we start here at uh, eight o'clock, but nine o'clock in continental Europe. Have a lovely evening. Thank you for your uh, precious questions, questions about life and application. They're the best. Okay, I'm going to uh, switch off now. Lots of love to you all. Bye now. <clears throat>